You're listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. Well, our guest on the podcast today is Dr. Garris Cockrell. So, Dr. Cockrell, thank you so much for joining us today. I appreciate you taking some time. Thank you, Ezra, for giving me the opportunity. I really appreciate that, too. Well, you have a lengthy bio that we could go into. Uh, You've been a professor for numbers of years, but one of the reasons I've known you the most over the last, well, decade plus, has been the work that you've done on Hebrews. And as a pastor, any time I get to the book of Hebrews, I always go back to the various commentaries, and we'll have them linked in the show notes below for listeners that they can check out. But just before we begin, I just want to say thank you for the impact you've had on my life, especially as it relates uh, to the book of Hebrews. You've changed a lot of my thinking. Thank you. Well, when I was thinking about preparing for this interview, I'm having the same problem that I had when we interviewed John Walton a number of months ago, well, probably over a year ago. You've written so much, and it's kind of hard to know where to start, but I'm kind of curious. For listeners that might not be familiar with you, take us back in time. How did you first come to faith in Christ? What did your early Christian journey look like? Well, Ezra, I I probably gave my heart to Jesus sometime about when I was six years old. But just before I turned 15, um, it was in a big tent meeting. It was actually at a, at a Wesleyan Church con- general conference in Houghton, New York. Um, I just I told Jesus that night I wanted him to have all of me, and I wanted him to give me all of him that he would. And he took me that night for my word. And it's been, uh, I mean, there's lots of ups and downs since then. That That's for sure. But um, my life really changed. I became really interested in studying the Bible. Um, and to start with, I didn't know any better, didn't have any more than I'd come kneel down in my bed after school and open up my Bible and open up Clark's commentary, and I'd read the Bible, and I'd read the commentary. You know, at the same time, I just got this this passion for the world mission of the church. And so my denomination at the time would send out a sheet of big sheet of paper with pictures of all the missionaries on it. And the ladies missionary society would cut them out and hand them out to people for prayer partners. Well, I put the sheet up on my wall to pray for them. And so as a teenager, then I had this, this passion for the world mission of the church and this deep desire to study God's word, to know him better. And I began to, from the beginning, I, I wanted to study it in Greek and Hebrew. I, 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 that, that, that fascinated me to be able to study it in its original language. So I began to look at catalogs of institutions, the courses they offered and so forth. But it became a real, a real passion of my, of my life. Uh, and it's all, so studying God's word was so much a part of my own growth in the Lord. I mean, I started carrying my Bible to school. This was a secular high school in Northern Virginia. Started the Navigator's Topical Memory System, carrying my little cards with me. There were a few of us in the Youth for Christ Club who did those kind of things. But it just became a passion for me. And then when I look back on my life, the Lord has been so good to me because he's allowed me to fulfill both of those passions. I've been able to study and teach the Word of God and, and get into its original languages and try to under, understand it, and he, and he allowed me to be a missionary as well. So, you know, um, in, in Sierra Leone, that is, to go to Sierra Leone, and so to serve in Sierra Leone. And so, How many, how many years were you over there? Nine. What Three, was that like? What was it like? 
Yeah. <laughs> well, that's hard. That's hard to describe. It's a very significant time in my life. It was a great privilege to be there and share the gospel, um, and to learn from Christians who were there to get another perspective on life. Um, see people with a different set of, of values and, and, and learn, learn from them. So it's, it really shaped, it's, sh it shaped everything I do. Um, it, in so many ways. It's kind of interesting because it feels like sometimes if people just get into the Bible, but they don't have multiple life experiences, right? In different cultures, different contexts, sometimes they only read the Bible through one lens. Yeah. It kind of feels like that. And you, and you get that slant when they speak. And so I'm sure being exposed to different cultures, such as you were, um, how did that change your approach to Scripture, if, if any? How did that change you? Well, it makes you, it reminds you that you really need to listen to Scripture on its own and not through your own, your own perspective. And it, it, it reminds you that uh, also you can, you can begin to listen from another cultural point of view. Um, one way it really impacted me is when I first went there to teach, I was Bible teacher and chaplain in a boys' high school, about 400 and some boys. And Ezra, <laughs> the first six weeks or so I taught, this is not a hyperbole. Nobody learned anything. Nothing. <laughs> nothing. And um, because I wasn't onto their way of learning, you know, I was trying to get them to think and all this kind of stuff where they're used to rote memory and to concrete things. And so I had to totally change the way I taught. It was like, you either got to make a change or go home. This isn't working. So um, the Lord used that to really shape me, to make me a, a concrete teacher, one who uses um, uh, images, graphic kind of things and so forth. But it also made me audience sensitive so that in all my teaching i'm i'm reading a class as i teach because that was that was that was programmed into me to start with i mean there there's there are lots of specific things i could tell you i learned from africa their concern and respect for people a sense of community they 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 naturally without thinking ex excel us in those kind of things and it, um, it's fascinating because you get both the deep aspect, but then also the, the aspect of, of touching people where they're at, right? It feels like sometimes people go very deep in the Word of God, and, and but it only they only know how to just kind of process it within the four walls of their house, right? Uh -huh. uh, but it, I was even thinking, so you were very kind, sent over a copy of a couple books. One of them was Yesterday, Today, and Forever. You've written a commentary on the book of Hebrews, which I want to chat about uh, for the new international commentary series. That's technical, lots of, you know, lots of technical language in, in there, but it's pretty practical as well. This one, though, is more of a, a, if you will, devotional base that helps everyday people get into the, you know, get into Hebrews for themselves. I wonder if you would have written a book like this without your experiences that you just shared about. It's kind of fascinating to me because you use, you use imagery very well. And um, it's, it, I just say that because I feel like there's people that are listening to this where God maybe has them in different seasons of their life. And they're kind of wondering, hmm, I wonder why God has me here. But sometimes it's only in retrospect that we kind of see, you know, how he's using all of that in the context. I, I'm convinced that God has you where you are at a particular time for that pur for that purpose for being there mm. you know he has you there to serve 
and 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 you're there to do what you're supposed to do but he's also using it to prepare you for what comes next yeah. so it's not that you're waiting for what god is going to do in the future no what you're doing right now is what he wants you to do but he uses it he uses it to prepare you know i was 68 years old before i finished that commentary and i don't regret that because i had lived of all my life experience and i had lived with the book of hebrews for all those years at, at, a, at a very uh, detailed level, I, I hesitate to use the word academic, but I could use that word because, yes, at a very academic level, reading all the commentaries on it, all the all the stuff on it, in in the original text of Greek and so forth, but it is, it it's my insight into it was well seasoned, and so I really I really don't. Don't, I, I could have written the commentary technically much earlier in my life, but I couldn't have written that commentary earlier in my life. That's Oh, that's a fascinating comparison there. I, um, I've thought about this. Okay, so you're speaking to two younger guys here. I remember one, I think it was Tim Keller, he said something like this. He said, you shouldn't write a book before the age of 40 or something like to that effect. And his general point was, sometimes we, we have the information, but we're not, as you said, seasoned enough. Um how, how do you know if you're ready to start sharing more? <laughs> I really don't. You just have to listen to the Lord on that one. Yeah. And, and you you are ready to start sharing more. You're always, there's always something you can share. Hmm. There's always, you know, there's, there's always something God would have you, have you do. Your more mature work may come later on. You're more insightful, but there's always, you know, as you're walking with the Lord, there's always, there's always, um, some, some sharing. Uh, another aspect of the commentary was, you know, I don't separate, I never read the, I never come to the Bible purely as an academic. Um, it's never separated from me. The Bible is God's word. And whenever I approach it, I approach it in that way. No matter how deeply academic I'm going into it with all this, all the Greek and Hebrew and reading all the commentators and all this kind of stuff. I'm there to listen for what God has to say. And, you know, when I started writing the commentary on Hebrews, I put all of the traditional interpretations aside at one, in, in, in a way that, that I knew of. And I really, of course, I have my own predisposition, but I really submitted myself to the text and said, Lord, I want you to show me, I, I'm going to study this academically to the best of my ability, but I'm depending on you to show me what's here. And mm. um, writing the commentary itself, it was a 10-year process. Uh, it, it absorbed a good bit of my time for 10 years. But it, it was also an exercise in spiritual growth and going deeper in the Word of God. Mm. Um, and... Um, yeah, well, I should let you ask another question. I can keep going on that. Elliot, I want to go to you. We've got some in our audience. They've asked different questions on the book of Hebrews. We've got a few general ones here. I know Trevor and Matthew wrote in. Um, why don't you fire away with a couple of these here? Yeah. So we've been going through Hebrews on the, the Monday Christian devotional. And so these are these are some of the, the questions that come out of that. And these are uh, some maybe easy ones or some softballs and then maybe maybe some deeper ones. So you can answer however you'd like. But uh, Trevor asks, who do you think wrote the book of Hebrews? Well, you know, whenever anybody finds you've written a commentary on Hebrews, that's almost the first question they will ask. And the truth is, nobody knows. And that's just the way it is. Um, 
you know, we, we don't know for sure. And if you look at how I approach that in my commentary, this is the way I approach it. I look at the various options of that people have suggested. Probably the best one is Apollos, but, you know, we have no ancient tradition that associates Apollos with Hebrews. Nobody suggested it before Martin Luther. So, you know, but uh, the benefit is in, in the different suggestions is when you when you say, well, maybe Apollos wrote it, here's some reasons why, or maybe Luke wrote it, here's some reasons why, or maybe Paul wrote it, here's some reasons why. Um, when you look at those different options, what it does for you is help to emphasize certain aspects of the book of Hebrews, helps you to look at it from a point, a particular point of view. And that, in my judgment, is the value of talking about authorship. But is, is, there's one commentary, it's a good commentary, the guy spent his first, his whole introduction of almost 90 pages arguing that Apollos was the author. But then said, I won't name it because it is a good commentary. And then said, but since we can't be sure of this, I'm not going to use it in interpreting in my commentary. Well, why did you talk about it for 90 pages then? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so that's the way. Uh, there's no, I, I will tell you this. I don't know the man's name. And I do believe as a man because of various things he says there. I don't know the man's name. But I feel like I know him. I've lived with his book so long. And yeah. so deeply that if you put him in a lineup and had him speak theology, I think I could pick him out. <laughs> you, you, one of the so the imagery you use, you know, the, you talk about the Sinai picture, the pilgrimage picture, sure, the high priest picture. Help people understand if they if you're reading the Book of Hebrews and you're kind of you're trying to figure out how to piece it together. Give us the overview of that, and, and how do you help just an everyday Christian kind of understand what's the main message of Hebrew? What's it trying to convey? Okay, well, you've got two or three, two or three weighty questions there, uh, Ezra. I think I better parse them apart a little bit. Um, th those three pictures, the writer really, I, I believe those three pictures lie behind Hebrews. The writer picture, pictures us, Christians, believers, the church. As, as parallel to Israel in the wilderness on between Sinai and the promised land. So we're on pilgrimage. We got to persevere until we get there. Um, then, and so, but Sinai, God spoke to them at Sinai. God is now spoken in one who is son, fulfilling what he, what he spoke at Sinai. So in one sense, that is parallel with them. God spoke in Sinai, God is now spoken in the son. And all that Moses, Moses in chapter 3, 1 to 6, Moses was, um, was faithful in God's house as a servant, as a witness to things that were to be spoken. And those things that are to be spoken are what God has now spoken in his son. And it's all the central part of Hebrews about how he fulfills the old covenant and the priesthood. All right, so, so God spoke at Sinai, they're on pilgrimage. God spoke in the son, we're on pilgrimage. We're, we're bound for the promised land. And that imagery, that imagery lies behind the book. We're encouraged to persevere. Um, and that's, that's very helpful in understanding what, what, is, what is going on. Ultimately, the writer of Hebrews believes there's one people of God. And those who live before Christ and those who come after are all saved by him. And the ultimate promised land, even for those who stood in Sinai, was not was not physical Canaan. The ultimate promised land for them is the same as it is for us. 
the rest, the new heaven and the new earth, the 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 the, the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the city with foundations, whose builder and maker is God. We've seen different pastors in recent years kind of almost basically say, lay the Old Testament aside, right? Just focus on the New Testament. Let's get to Jesus, get to the good stuff, and kind of lay lay the other stuff aside. I would say I've been around a number of Christians that kind of have the same approach as well, um, where it's kind of like, okay, let's move on again, get to the good stuff. How do you help readers understand the connection between what we read in Hebrews and why that's so important to, to understanding the Old Testament? Well, we'd have absolutely no understanding of who Christ is and what he's done for us without the Old Testament. And you, I mean, you can't read Hebrews without the Old Testament. You'd, we'd have absolutely no understanding of that because um, um, Christ is, is the fulfillment of what God did at Sinai. And we understand him, how we understand him. Okay, you're... You almost you're pushing me into a suggested question later on. I don't know if I should go into how the Old and New Testament fit together or not. You we're we're to gonna ca- we're gonna cover that next week. But but I, okay. I guess I guess just 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 th- th- coming back to circling back to that point. I think sometimes people when they get to a book like Hebrews, and they see all these Old Testament references, their eyes just kind of glaze over and they say, okay, all right, uh, okay, I'll skip over this part about Melchizedek. Oh, but here's a verse about Jesus, and I like this part. And so we kind of highlight those parts we don't, we like, and then skip well, you, over those parts you, that relate to the Old Testament. You can't understand any verse about Jesus in Hebrews without the Old Testament. Hmm. You will misunderstand it if you don't have the Old Testament behind you. Because the whole thing is how he fulfills the Sinai covenant and enables us to persevere. The main message of Hebrews is, is the encouragement for us to persevere in faithful obedience through the sufficiency of our high priest, Jesus Christ. We draw near to God through him to find the grace and the mercy, the mercy of forgiveness and the grace for holy living, to persevere un, 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 until the end. Um, that is, that's the whole message of Hebrews. And the whole Hebrews, Christ in Hebrews is totally understood in terms of, of the old, the old Testament. There there are three main. This maybe gets in a little bit. You 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 keep pushing me over the boundary into next week's <laughs> podcast. But there are three um, there there are three particular images in Hebrews. First of all, Christ has given the 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 all sufficient sacrifice that atones for sin, that cleanses from sin, that delivers from sin. The imagery of Hebrews is very much cleansing. It's approaching God in the temple in the most holy place so that so that we can come into the presence of God that's he, he and that's that's understood in terms of the day of atonement sacrifice in the old testament secondly because he has given that all sufficient sacrifice he has also taken the curse of the old covenant upon himself and established a new covenant whereby whereby our hearts are transformed and we're able to live in God's presence. So he becomes not only the all-sufficient sacrifice, but the mediator and guarantor of the old covenant. And also because he has atoned for sin, that is also a sacrifice of high priestly consecration. He has dealt with sin, so now he he enters heaven on our behalf to take his seat at God's right hand is the all-sufficient high priest who brings us into God's presence. All three of those, all-sufficient sacrifice, 
mediator and guarantor of the old covenant, um, uh, all-sufficient high priest at God's right hand. It, all, all of those are only comprehensible in terms of the Old Testament mm. and the Sinai covenant. Yeah, it's fascinating. So, okay, Viola, she writes in, she says she... Uh, she said, I, I don't understand Melchizedek, so it's obviously a common reference in, in Hebrews. And I thought it was fitting. You have a blog. Is it from Mangos to Melchizedek? Is that correct? That's correct. <laughs> and, and so I thought, well, you're a fitting person to ask on this. Um, and I ask it again, kind of through this lens. The average Christian, a lot of times, they get to a name like Melchizedek, and they think, okay, what in the world does this have to do with my faith? How does this relate to me? Um, so when Help us out here. When a reader gets to a word like Melchizedek in, in Hebrews, what's the deeper truth there that if they do a little bit more studying that all of a sudden this passage can come to life in a new way? Well, if they will read what I have to say, not even in the commentary, but in this book you mentioned, uh, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, it'll put give it to them in a fairly compre- uh, 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 concrete form. Um, let me start with Melchizedek in the Old Testament. What is Melchizedek's function in Genesis? If you go back and look at Genesis 14 carefully, um, Abraham has you know, gone and delivered Lot from the five kings because Lot has gone to live in Sodom. He's gone, he has compromised the faith by going to live in Sodom. He's been taken away as a captive, and Abraham delivers him. The king of Sodom is there, and, the king, and Melchizedek, king of righteousness, Melchizedek, the king of Salem, is there. And they are they are counter to each other. The king of Sodom uh, says, give me, give me the people and keep the goods. In other words, I'll make you rich. Melchizedek comes, Melchizedek's role in that passage is he comes and blesses Abraham in the, in the name of God Most High and, and ministers to him. He is reminding Abraham that his wealth doesn't come from Sodom, but from God. He appears as a messenger of God, appears without precedent. We don't know where he comes from, where he goes to. He appears almost like the angel of the Lord. And he's the one that keeps Abraham from being tempted to turn aside. Now we come to Hebrews, and the writer of Hebrews um, takes that Old Testament with Psalm 110.1, where God says to the Messiah, um, um, Sit, uh, you, you're priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. And he he says, you are a priest like Melchizedek. That first of all means that the Aaronic priesthood wasn't the final one. And what does it mean to be a priest like Melchizedek? Melchizedek just appears in the Old Testament and disappears. He has no father, no mother. He's almost like the angel of the Lord. And so he becomes a picture of Jesus' own deity of his own divinity as the Son of God. This priest is not like the Aaronic priest. His, his priesthood is not dependent on genealogy. His priesthood is dependent on the power of an indestructible life, on his being the eternal Son of God. And Melchizedek is the figure from the Old Testament that shows that. He's a priest, Melchizedek, a priest like Melchizedek. Melchizedek himself wasn't eternal, but he's a picture of that in the Old Testament. Jesus is the priest, he is the sufficient priest because he is also the eternal son of God. Um, and that's the role of Melchizedek to show that Jesus is a priest superior to Aaron. He's one, 
whose priesthood isn't based on genealogy. Melchizedek has no genealogy in the Old Testament. But rather, Melchizedek is a picture of one who has neither beginning of days nor end of life. And so he's a picture of one who is a priest by the power of an indestructible life. Um, El Elliot, we're uh, running low on time here. Give us a few questions from those in our audience. Yeah, so we have uh, another question from Matthew who asks, why Hebrews? What would be your uh, elevator speech for why someone should study the book of Hebrews? Well, you know, it's very simple to start with. It's in the Bible. <laughs> it's an important part of the New Testament. And um, it is the one book that deals more, more clearly with um, so much of the Old Testament, the Old Covenant and how it's, how it's fulfilled in the New and how Christ fulfills the Old Covenant. So it, 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 it fills our whole gap of knowledge in that regard. But the book of Hebrews has a very important message for people today. You know, we live in a day where people say, has God spoken? I don't see God's voice anywhere. We live in a day of moral irrelevance, of a pluralism that says anything goes. And Hebrews comes with a strong, uh, a, a, a firm message. God has spoken. He not only spoke in Jesus, he's spoken in the prophets. He spoke in Moses. He's had a long conversation that now reaches its climax ultimately in him speaking who, in one who is nothing less than his, than his, than his only son, than his son. The, the, and he speaks in that, of course, through his incarnation, his death and his resurrection, his ascension. But God has spoken. Furthermore, and by, in, in, in this God's speech, God has provided a fully adequate salvation for us to be delivered from sin and come into his presence. He has proclaimed that there is a moral truth, that there, there is a way human beings should live. God has spoken. There is a way we should live. And God has made all the provision necessary in his son for us to live that way. And so there is a, a very important message um, for people today. Um, that's what I've tried to highlight in yesterday, today, and forever. And to yeah. make that graspable for people. You know, in, in, in this age of pluralism and of confusion, Hebrews comes through so clearly and shows you the coherence of God's message throughout the ages, the sufficiency of Christ, and um, uh, a sure word that God has spoken. In, in a way, it connects back to what you talked about earlier, you know, that tent meeting that you went to as a kid, right? It's all okay. of a sudden like the God of scriptures, you know, leaps in, into your life and you all of a sudden experience that. and. You know, talk to the person, just maybe in closing, that, I don't know, maybe they experienced God as a kid, but maybe they're in their 20s or 30s now, and it just feels like it's been so long since they've had an encounter with the living God, and life, busyness, distraction, all those things. Um, what would you say to a person like that? What should they do? Where should they, where should they do next? It's hard to know without talking to the person directly. If there's sin in their life, they need to repent. Um, that's that is that is that is certainly important. But they need a real engagement with the Word of God. You know, the Bible is not just information. The Bible is God's Word. It's where He meets us. You know, it's it's and and is 
my job as a preacher is not merely to throw you information in the scripture, but to bring you into the text. And if you want to know God, you have to humbly read and study scripture prayerfully. Um, and he will meet you there. You may have to persevere. You may have through, but, but there's through some dry times, but there's nothing else. There's nothing else that will suffice for that. There's no devotional book, a book like this that I've written. It's, it's merely, uh, you might think of it as um, a superstructure, a, a scaffold or something to help you understand the building of the Word of God. It's to bring you, my, my whole desire is to bring you into the, the Word of God, to understand it. And I think it's related to a dearth of, the, of our, our, in the Word of God in prayer. But um, sin has to be repented of. We have to approach the Word with humility. And with a desire to meet God. I guarantee you, if you do, he will meet you. Yeah, that's a great place to leave it right there. Dr. Cockerell, you'll be back with us next week, but thanks so much for taking some time today. Thank you. It's been a privilege. Uh... Thank you for listening to the Monday Christian Podcast. To support our vision and find new ways to put your faith into action throughout the week, visit themondaychristian.com. That's themondaychristian.com.